chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, this is our last uh, part of our four-part series on the gift of repentance. If you've been paying attention or following along, you may have noticed that there's a, <laughs> a theme in the last few weeks. Wonderful. Excellent. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8 says, Bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance. Let's all pray together one more time. Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your spirit that's here. God, I pray in your name, Jesus, you would speak to us. God, I pray that you would open our ears and our, our eyes and our hearts to your word. God, I pray that you would anoint us to hear what you want us to hear. Anoint me to say what you want me to say. I pray in Jesus' name, God, let your will be done. God, you are worthy. God, I pray in your name, Jesus, let your will be done. Amen. You can be seated if you want. Probably the shortest one I've used in a long time. Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Jesus, um, you may have noticed, was a big deal back in the day. He still is, but during his time on earth, he was a pretty big deal. He was pretty popular. Everybody knew of him. Everybody heard um, stories about what he was doing. They heard maybe some rumors about things that had happened. They heard about miracles that were taking place, people being um, set free from, from demons, people being um, able to see again that hadn't seen in a long time, people being able to walk that hadn't been able to walk, lepers being healed. They heard all these, these stories and the small and the great, the rich, the poor, the religious, the heathen, it didn't really matter. They would have heard about everything he had been doing. And um, his disciples followed him with the, with the passion. They followed him wherever he went. Even if it was on a ship, you know, in a storm or through the desert, through small towns, places that never been, places that never would have wanted to go. He, they followed him and friends loved him. Enemies, even his enemies knew that there was something special about him. They knew there was something different about this guy. They, he had a unique way of taking on the religious system of the day. He was trying to set it right. He had problems with the religious leaders and the hypocrisy that they showed where they would say one thing and they would do another. He called them whitewashed sepulchers. They look nice on the outside, but they're dead on the inside. He said all these things and he had problems with the way they were doing things, but when they came to him, honestly, he would answer their questions. If it was an honest question, like Nicodemus came and he answered him. He could tell hearts of people. He knew what people were thinking. He could read their hearts. He knew their true intent. Sometimes they would ask him a question, try to trick him, and he would know that they were doing that, and he would, he would answer it according to what their intents were, not necessarily the words they were saying. He could tell what was going on in people's lives, and somehow he got them excited to change. He could point out what was somebody was doing wrong, and they'd be, instead of being ashamed or you know, feeling bad about it, they'd be excited to change. You know, the woman at the well, she had been married five times. She was with somebody else. Not something a lot of people would be proud of. And... He pointed that out to her, 
And what was her reaction? I need to change. She was excited about it. She went and told everybody. It was a big thing. Everybody in the town knew her. Everybody in the town heard about her experience with Jesus. You know, that takes somebody special to be able to do that. You know, if I come to you and say, hey, you're doing this wrong, you might get mad at me. Right? <laughs> Five point. I know when my wife tells me what I'm doing wrong, I don't take it the right way most of the time. I don't know if anyone else is like that. But Jesus had a way that he could tell someone what was wrong in their life, and they were excited to change. And news traveled wherever he went. People heard where he was going to be. They heard, oh, Jesus is on the move. He's, he's headed down the road, you know, and he's going to come to our town next maybe. And people got excited, and they met him wherever he went. And um, people heard where he was going to be, and the next place he was going was Jericho. And in Jericho, there was a wealthy tax collector named Zacchaeus. We're going to talk more about him tonight, but just a little bit today. Zacchaeus, he, he made his fortune by ripping people off. Ever met somebody like that? We, we know people that would just get things for free and then sell it for a lot more. I was like, I can't do that. I feel bad because I know I got <laughs> I, uh, I almost got a job selling vacuum cleaners once. And they told me how much the vacuum was worth. And then they told me how much to sell it for, and I, I couldn't do that. They're like, oh, you just knock $1,000 off, they'll think you're giving me a sale, but really it's still 2000 less than that. And I was like, I can't do that. I feel bad. And there's people that I can do that, there's people that do that. And anyway, that's what Zacchaeus, he made his fortune by kind of doing that sort of thing, ripping people off. Um, he was a tax collector. He was hated by the community. So he would, he would come and he would say, you know, your taxes are, I don't know, let's just say 60, 60 bucks. But really they're 20 and he's taking 40 for himself. That's what Zacchaeus was doing. He was ripping people off. They didn't know any better. They didn't know. All they knew was this is what the tax collector is saying I owe and this is what I'm, I have to give him. So that's what Zacchaeus did. He made his fortune by doing that, he was hated by his community, was viewed as a traitor because he was Jewish, but he was working for the Romans. He was working for the government. Um, he was dishonest. He probably had one of those smiles, you know. You know they're a snake, but they look. He was a car salesman, tricking you into buying something that's gonna break. You know what I mean? Anyways. <laughs> Zacchaeus was also, as we say, vertically challenged. And he was <laughs> short on friends, short on honesty, short on integrity, and short on having the right heart. But in spite of all of that, something happened in him. Something got him excited to see Jesus. He got excited that Jesus was coming to Jericho. Maybe he had heard about the miracles. Maybe he had heard about the teaching. Maybe he... I don't know what it was about Jesus coming that got Zacchaeus excited, but it had been a long time since someone famous had been to town. Maybe some officials or whatever had come through, but that was it. But he got excited that Jesus was coming, and who would have thought seeing Jesus walk down the street would have been a problem? Zacchaeus didn't, but it was. <laughs> he heard the noise, he heard the commotion, he runs out in the street to see, but as we said, he was... He was short, and he could not see above the crowd. Have you ever been in a crowd where you can't see what's going on? Right? My wife knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He was too short. He didn't want to miss it. So he took a look around. He spotted a tree, and he climbed up the sycamore tree. Some people are really good at climbing trees. I'm not so good. But uh, and then one day, we were looking at him on the balcony, and uh, there was this really tall palm tree. And this dude just shimmied up the palm tree, stole the coconuts, threw them down to his friend, went down and on his way. I was like, what is this? This is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It was, I don't know, it was at least like three stories high probably. It was a big tall, he just chop chop, just holding on with his legs. I don't know, like it was crazy. Some people are good at climbing trees. Zacchaeus obviously was good at climbing trees. And Jesus saw him up in the tree looking like a cool dude. It's hard to climb a tree and look cool when you're a grown man, but he called down from the tree. He called Zacchaeus down from the tree and he said, I'm coming to your house today. And Jesus, through all of the things that Zacchaeus was, Jesus saw his heart. He saw that he wanted to meet him. He saw that he was willing to look a little silly to see Jesus. He knew the trouble he went through to see him. He by Zacchaeus climbing the tree, he acknowledged that he was short. Sometimes it's hard for us to acknowledge, pardon the pun, but our shortcomings. Sometimes it's hard for us to acknowledge what makes us different or acknowledge what, you know, maybe people look down on. Sometimes it's hard for us to do that, but Zacchaeus did that. Sometimes it's hard for us to acknowledge our weaknesses, but when we do it, Jesus sees it. And Jesus reacts to it. It's important for us to be able to do that. When we have a weakness, maybe something we struggle with, maybe something we're not proud of, if we are willing to put that aside, Jesus will notice and act upon that. Jesus stopped and he took notice of Zacchaeus. He saw a sinner who needed change. He saw a sinner that needed a savior. And Zacchaeus was moved with conviction. And as soon as he started talking to Jesus, Jesus didn't even ask him, you know, what are you doing? What's your, what's your job? You know, who are you? Where are you from? You know, he just, as soon as Zacchaeus got in Jesus' presence, he just started babbling about how corrupt he meant. He just started telling him all the bad things he's done. I'm going to rip people off. I'm going to pay everyone back. I'm going to give them more than I took from them. Oh, my goodness. He got all fired up. Have you ever been like that? Get in the presence, <laughs> presence of God. And you go, oh. <laughs> you know, when you get saved at first, you're all gung-ho. And you're just going to. Terror of the world upside down, or turn the world upside down. You're all so excited. And Zacchaeus, he just gets in the presence of Jesus, and he just everything starts coming out of him. And he's, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And sometimes all it takes is for us to get into Jesus' presence, and everything starts coming out. When we get a move of God happening, stuff starts, starts coming out. We start giving things to God. We start turning things over to him. We get praying, we get talking, the spirit gets moving, and Jesus starts, pour, we start pouring out our heart to Jesus. Zacchaeus was introduced to the presence of God, and the first thing he did was he started repenting. He decides he's going to pay back everything and more, and he's happy to do so. And it happened quickly. It only took a few moments in the presence of God. Last week, we talked about how sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it does, sometimes it's quick. But you know what's authentic when it results in an immediate change. Zacchaeus immediately was changed when he got in the presence of Jesus. 
When we are when we are born again, when we are saved, we take on the nature of Jesus through our, our salvation. Second Corinthians five and seven says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. When we struggle, when we still I don't know how I'm struggling with talking, but When we get saved, we still struggle with yeah. sin, right? We still struggle with temptation. Yeah. Paul and other New Testament writers, they talked about it. And there's always going to be temptation. You know, even after you've been saved, you might have been coming to church for 50 years or two weeks, whatever it's been, there's still going to be temptation. It's still going to be there, right? Yeah. That's why we pray, deliver us from evil, lead us not into into temptation because it's still there it's still an option and we will never be exempt from temptation it's going to happen Genesis chapter 4 verse 7 when Cain killed his brother Abel um, God spoke to him and said that sin lies at the door and thou doest not well sin lieth at the door he said sin lies at the door and it, it sounds kind of like an animal waiting to pounce and what's there? Oh, and I don't know if you've ever seen the Lion King. It's a good one. But there's one scene where Mufasa <laughs> decides he's going to um, teach Simba how to pounce. Like a pouncing lesson. And every time I hear the word pounce, I think of this, so please forgive me. But he um, says he's going to show him how to pounce, and Zazu, he's the bird, a hornbill, or a start. He's a bird, and Mufasa is the father line. He tells Zazu to turn around. Simba's going to work on his pouncing. And so he turns around, and then all of this, you know, Zazu's talking, and he's like, oh, it's quiet. And he looks around, and he doesn't see anybody because lions are camouflaged. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes Simba, flies out, gets him. And that's where I think of pouncing. <laughs> but that's what sin's like sometimes. You know, you turn your back and you don't really see, or temptation, you don't really see, you don't really see it, and all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere and it hits you. You know, just kind of like an animal, like a, a lion waiting to pounce, or a cat with a mouse. You know, the mouse doesn't see the cat coming, or he wouldn't he'd get out of the way, right? You don't see it coming. It's waiting sort of at the door, as God said, to, to pounce. And we need to be aware. We need to know that. We can fall. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from, how long you've been here, how long you've been living for God. Anybody can fall. Anybody can go wrong, the wrong way at any time. We need to always be on guard. It's easy to go the wrong way. Have you ever been driving in a new city or a town that you've never been in? You take the wrong turn and you don't even know, Right? Or you're following your in-laws and they turn off and you end up following another car that looks the same. Or is that just me? <laughs> but sometimes, you know, you can take a wrong turn and you don't even know until later. And if you're a man, you don't ask for directions. You just, oh, I'm going to figure it out. No, nope, we're going the right way. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. Anyone else? And life can be like that sometimes. Sometimes we can just easily get lost and we go down the wrong way and we don't even realize it for a while. You know, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to get um, distracted. 
And it's easy to get lost if we don't pay attention. We need to always be aware that there's temptation waiting to pounce. There's things waiting to um, take us off of the path that we're walking on with Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on him. We need to listen to his word and we need to follow him. We need to always be vigilant and always be watching and always be waiting, you know, following him. And be, be aware that these things can happen. All actions have consequences, including obeying and disobeying God's word. Galatians chapter seven, 6 verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. Every action has an equal reaction. Everything we do, something happens because of it. Right? Even though sometimes we would rather that wasn't the case. But everything we do, something else is affected by it. All actions bear fruit. If you do something, you're going to get something as a result. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times it becomes something bigger. If you take a little seed, right? You plant it, you're going to get multiple things from it. You sow a pea seed, you're going to get stock or a shoot, whatever, I don't know. With multiple pods on it, with multiple peas in those pods, right? Sometimes we sow something, it may just seem small, but the effects of it can be bigger than that. It's been said that if we sow a thought, we will reap an action. If we sow an action, we will reap a habit. If we sow a habit, we will reap a character. And if we sow a character, we will reap a destiny. So that means if we continue to do something, or we continue to sin, or something like that, we continue to do that, it becomes a habit, and then that habit becomes our character. We become, becomes who we are. We become defined by that, and that affects our destiny, whether we go to heaven or hell. All these things that we do have a reaction. There's a, I'm sorry, James chapter one, verse 14 and 15 says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to a sin, and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. That's the uh, New King James. But <clears throat> um, disobedience bears fruit, the same as obedience does. If we, if we sin, then, you know, there's consequences. Um, my Sunday school teacher growing up, Bessie, you've heard me talk about her, I haven't done it in a few months. But Bessie, the one thing that she pounded into her heads every week was disobedience brings suffering. When you disobey, there's going to be results that happen that aren't going to be pleasant. Every week. And I, I remember I was preaching once in St. John, and I, I mentioned something she had taught us, and then later after service, she's like, hey, what does disobedience bring? And I hadn't heard it in like, I don't know, 10 years. And I was like, suffering. I don't even know where it came from, but it was there. But disobedience brings suffering. When we disobey, when we sin, you're not going to get good things out of it. Suffering is going to happen every time. When we hear somebody say the fruit of repentance, it's talking about um, outward, visible, an outward visible impact of a changed heart. So Zacchaeus, he repented, and the fruit that came from that was he paid everybody back. He, he did something good. And when we repent, there's a change that happens. The fruit of repentance is the change that happens. 
When we encounter Jesus for the first time, there should be a noticeable change in our lives. When we get into his presence, we are changed. We can't come in contact with the presence of God and not change. That's why prayer and worship are so important in our church services. Because that ushers in the presence of God. And when the presence of God is here, things change. People change. People are coming off the street or somebody that's been coming for a while has been struggling with something. They change because they get in the presence of God. It sets the atmosphere for the presence of God and for his spirit to move. Genesis chapter 32, Jacob got into the presence of God and he left walking differently. and He left with a new name. Acts chapter 9, Saul Saul met the presence of God and he left blind and humbled. And later got you know, healed and full of the Holy Ghost and did his thing. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet. He's a man of God, but he got into the presence of God and repented and he vowed to do more than he'd ever done before. When we get into the presence of God, things will change. One of the, the things that make Pentecost, that has made Pentecost grow so rapidly all over the world is that it offers a life-changing encounter with God. Um, it's different than all the other religions. It's different than um, all the other things that people believe all over the world because generally if you're born in a certain area, a certain place, a certain family, you know, that's what you will be. You know, if you're born in Italy, or Quebec, or France, chances are you're going to be Catholic. If you're born in England, you're going to be Anglican. If you're born in India, you're going to be um, a Hindu. If you're born in Japan, you're going to be Shinto. If you're born in Greece, you're going to be Greek, 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 Greek Orthodox. If you're born in Israel, Jewish. If you're born in Iran, Iraq, Oman, Yemen, United Arab Emirates, Emirates. Oh, I can't even talk. You're going to be Muslim. You're born in Benin, you're going to be dealing with some voodoo stuff. That's because of where you're born. And with Pentecost, it doesn't matter where you're born. It doesn't matter where you're from. Everybody can encounter God. People, all these other types of religions, they're, they're not offering the life-changing encounter or conversion. The decision's been made for them by their parents where they're born where they've been raised, you know, just a chance encounter type thing. Um, sometimes the growth strategy seems to be just to have kids. Islam is one of the fastest <clears throat> growing religions in the world, not because people are converting, but because they're having seven or eight kids. And everybody else is having two or three. That's why it's growing so rapidly. Because Not because people are being converted. I don't know very many people that convert, but that's what's happening. But with the apostolic church, it's different. We offer a change, an encounter with God, and it starts with repentance. Anybody can come from any background, wherever you're born, whatever your families believe, whatever you've been through, you can change. You can have an encounter with God, and it all starts with repentance. The first century um, apostles and prophets, they expected a change through the message of salvation. John the Baptist, he, he showed up and he started preaching 
this radical change. He started telling everybody, you need to repent. You need to turn from your ways. You need to, you need to change what you've been doing. You've been doing it wrong. God's here. God's going to show up and he's going to do all these things. But you need to get ready. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he preached for everyone. He preached at the religious leaders. He preached to the poor. He preached to the common folk. It didn't really matter because sin was sin. And a sinner is a sinner. It doesn't matter where you've come from, where you've been, who you are, what your position is. It doesn't matter if you sin. You know, sin is sin. And Peter in Acts chapter 2, people asked him, they said, what shall we do? And Peter didn't tell them something to make them feel good. He didn't say, you need to live your best life now. You need to sow a seed and God will give you money. He didn't say, you need to come, you know, pay your tithes and God's going to give you all this blessing. He's going to give you new houses. He didn't say all that stuff. He didn't give them that nonsense. He told them that... He told them that they needed to change. And he told them how to change. Acts 2 verse 38 says, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He didn't beat around the bush. He said, this is what you need to do. Amen. You need to repent. Yes. You need to do these things. Be baptized. Fill with the Holy Ghost. This is what you need to do. He didn't tell them, you know, just need to keep doing you. Jesus loves you the way you are, and you don't ever need to change. He didn't say that. That's some twisted stuff that people say now. But he told them how they needed to change, and people were changed of all different backgrounds, all different languages, all different families, different positions, different amounts of money. It didn't matter, because this applies to everyone. If you can't preach this message wherever you go in the world, if you can't preach it, Underground in China, if you can't preach it in the jungles of Africa or down in Chile or in, in Russia or France or wherever you go, if you can't preach it wherever you go, then it's not the gospel. Because the gospel is for everybody. Amen. This message is for everybody. Everybody can be changed. Everybody can be saved. Everybody can be full of the Holy Ghost. Everyone can be baptized. Everyone can repent. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter if you have a dollar a day or a million dollars. It doesn't matter. It applies to everyone. And what happened when Peter preached that? Acts 2.41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. They gladly received it. People don't want to hear some nonsense. People want the truth. And when we give it to them properly, we give it to them in love, they will gladly receive it. Sorry, Paul later, he testified before Felix. And he didn't hold anything back. Acts 24 and 25 says, Now as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. And he answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. He just laid it all out to him. And Felix was like, Okay, that's okay. I'll think about this. You know, people, people want the truth. People want to know that there's a God that can change them. People want to be changed. People want to know. And the message of repentance is not a message of hopelessness. It's a message of hope. And it might hurt at first. We don't like to be wrong. 
We don't like someone to tell us that we're wrong. You know, there's ways to do it properly. You know, just start calling everybody out. That's not going to help. But there's ways to do it. But we don't like to be wrong. It hurts our feelings. But in the end, it's worth it. It's like, like getting a, a vaccination, a needle. It hurts at first. It hurts for a bit. Maybe you might be sore for a couple of days. But in the long run, it's worth it. The long run, it keeps you safe. The long run, it protects you. Generally, it's supposed to. When we, in order to get, in order for us to go to West Africa, we needed to have a vaccination for a yellow fever. Um, if you get that, you're done. Your eyes will turn yellow. It's crazy. Just get this all home. That's a mess. So in order to get in the country, you needed to do it. You can't do it without it. And so we got it. We got it. The kids got it. Annabelle's still terrified of needles because of it. It was, they give it to you in the back of your arm here instead of where they're normally doing. It hurts a bit more. But, you know, it was uncomfortable for a bit. It hurt a little while. Um, but we didn't get yellow fever. <laughs> We're still alive. Right? And that, you know, it might hurt a bit. You know, finding out that you're wrong, finding out that you've been doing things the wrong way. It might hurt your feelings a bit, knowing that you need to repent. But when you do it, in the long run, it's worth it. There's no joy like knowing that things have been made right with God. There's no joy in know, like knowing that you have a clean heart and know that you're following him properly with everything in you. In you. There should be a change of heart, there should be a change of mind, and a change of direction. Repentance that yields fruit, that brings change in our lives, only works when God is allowed to work in us. And not, you know, it doesn't work if you're just doing it because you have a guilty conscience. We have to allow God to work in us. It doesn't work if you're just, you got caught and you feel bad. You know, there has to be change. You know, if you get, you get caught, you may feel bad because you got caught, but then you're going to try to do it a different way. Because now I know I got caught that way. Right? There's no change. But when you change, you know, it's true repentance, you're going to change. You're going to stop doing that. Does that make sense? All right. A couple of stories. That's how we're ending them all. Many years ago, there was a, a man who enjoyed smoking a pipe. Even though he knew that it was something he shouldn't do, um, and it made him feel a little bad inside, but he did it anyways. In those days, uh, evangelists would come to town and they would do tent revivals. People would come from everywhere and the evangelists would preach against sin and say, you need to change, you need to turn your lives around, you need to turn it over to God. And people would repent, but some of them wouldn't change. And this, this man went to a tent meeting, and while he was there, he got, uh, felt convicted about his pipe. And on one, more than one occasion during a meeting, he would throw his pipe as far as he could out into a cornfield. But after the revival was over, he would go 
to that field at night with a lamp and crawl around on his hands and knees until he found it. One day, a Pentecostal evangelist came to town with his tent meeting. And he didn't only preach about repentance, but he preached about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the, the pipe smoker came to the meeting. He got convicted again. And he repented like he had before. But this time, he received the Holy Ghost. On his way home that night, he threw his pipe out in the cornfield again. Further than he ever had before. And this time, he didn't go looking for it. Because he had shown true, lasting fruit through repentance. God had filled him with, his Holy, with the Holy Ghost, and he had actually changed. And we can, we can repent and say, I'm sorry for doing that, and then do it again the next day, right? Has anyone ever been there? We've all done this. But it's not true if we, if we keep doing it. True repentance, the fruit of true repentance is a change. A pastor um, became concerned about a lady in his congregation that was particularly needy. She would take up a lot of his time and a lot of other people's time after service, um, just talking about everything going on and distracting him from you know, meeting other people, talking to other people, new people or whatever. Um, mostly talking about nothing. <laughs> this isn't about anybody here, but... We all know someone like that, right? <laughs> just talking but not saying anything. Anyways. <laughs> so she, she put up with this, or he put up with this for a while, but he finally made up his mind to go um, after her unsaved husband to see if he could make a disciple out of him. Um, his thinking was a little selfish, but he was thinking that if her husband got saved, he wouldn't want to wait around for her after church and he would kind of get her to go. <laughs> that doesn't work either, but he would try to take his wife home early. And it was a little selfish, his motive maybe, but you know, if it worked, that's a good result, right? It would be good temporarily and also eternally. So, so one day he went to visit this guy at his, his place of business and he um, started talking to him and they somehow started talking about golf and the pastor asked that maybe they could get together sometime and play a round of golf. And the man said sure and they, they made plans and while they were together on the golf course the pastor asked if he could teach him a Bible study and the guy was, you know, oh, sure. He, was, he agreed pretty quickly. And after a few Bible studies, the pastor could see that he was a good man, but, you know, he was a sinner and he just needed to be saved. He was, he'd grown up in another faith and had been told that he was saved and he was doing just fine. And he didn't need anything else from God. But he knew in his heart that this wasn't true. But he just needed kind of a, a push to get him going towards an encounter with God. It, you know, we know people like that too. And one day the pastor, or the man called the pastor, and he was upset and desperate. He was embarrassed to confess that he'd been caught doing something he shouldn't have. And this moment was his wake-up call. 
And he realized that he wasn't actually saved like he thought he was. And he needed to repent. And he called the pastor and he, he told him he wanted to meet him at the church and begin to make things right with God. So they met that day at the church. And after a few minutes, you know, the pastor, you know, telling him how to, how to repent, how to do it. The man got down on his hands and knees in front of the altar and he began to pour out everything to God. They prayed for a couple of hours and the man cried and sobbed his way to repentance. And after it was over, he announced he was ready to be baptized and it wasn't long until he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And since that day, he's manifested the fruit of a changed life. And the pastor is getting home from church much earlier. <laughs> I know this is kind of a joke, that one, but if we truly repent, there should be a change. Right? It's not just because you got caught doing something. It's not just because you're in a mess. You know, there should be a change. Repentance is important, but what we do after it is just as important. If we repent and we keep doing the same thing, it's not real. You know, you're going to struggle with it, obviously, sometimes. But if you just, you know, repent and then you just do it again willfully, it's not, it's not true repentance. What we do after it is just as important. We need, we need the Holy Ghost, too. We need God's Spirit in us. We, if you clean your house and you don't change any of your habits, you don't change how you do things, your hands are going to get messy again. Right? And when we clean our kids' playroom, and the next day it's trashed because they're pigs. So we got rid of most of our toys. But, but you can clean something, but if you don't make a change, if you don't keep putting stuff away, if you don't keep tidying up, if you don't keep sweeping the floor, you know, it's going to get a mess again. And we can repent, but if we don't make a change, we're just going to fall into the same trap again. The same with our heart. Repentance cleans us, but if we don't change our ways, we're going to fall into the same old ways. We need the Holy Ghost. We need God working in us. Acts chapter 2. You know, they spoke in tongues when they got the Holy Ghost. It's the same sign. We all know this. It's God's way of saying, I'm here. Listen, we have a hard time controlling our tongue. God's way of saying, I'm here, I'm in control now. I'm taking over. We're just going to take some time this morning and just repent a little bit. I know we've been doing it for four weeks and we should be almost cleaned out by now. But um, what we do after is just as important as doing it. Ask God to forgive us of something. We need to stop doing that. We need to move on. We need to be full of His Spirit. And He will help us do it. So let's, let's come around the altar. Let's just pray for.